If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know that the series that we're doing this month uh, in January is about the early years of Jesus. Um, and these are the stories that we have, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, about Jesus between Christmas, between when he was born, and, and the time when he started his ministry as a teacher, as a grown, up, as a grown man. Um, and there are several stories we've seen about who he was when he was a baby. And then last week we looked at his childhood, which is skipped over in a single verse in Luke's Gospel. Um, and today we take a time, you know, jump in time forward to when he was about 12 years old. And this was an important time for Jesus um, because that age was one of the key transition times for young people in his culture. Uh, many of the younger members of our own congregation are now headed towards transitions of their own. There's the start of the school year coming up. Um, I'm looking forward to move up to whatever might be next. Um, and in Jesus' day, uh, to be 12 was to be on the cusp of entering into adult life in many senses. Um, you may know of the Jewish custom of the um, bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah, when a child turns 18, 13 sorry, and becomes an adult in the sense of participating in the worship life of their community. Now, that tradition actually hadn't developed yet in Jesus' day, but that's the stage in some sense that Jesus was at. So in our terms today, Jesus' age in this passage is more, it's less like the transition of someone going into high school uh, than it is like having your 18th birthday in Australia and the things that come with the result of that. And so this is the kind of stage of life Jesus is at during this story. It's when he emerges um, out of what we call the hidden years of his life last um, week. So Luke picks up the story of Jesus' early life at a time when we would expect to see significant things happening for him. Um, and for Jesus to be becoming more the kind of person that he would be when he was a man. And, and in this story, as we'll see in a minute, we have the very first words that Jesus has ever recorded as saying. Up until now, we've had angels and prophets speaking about him and speaking for him. But here Jesus speaks for the first time about who he is and what he's going to do. So the story that we've just heard um, takes place when Mary and Joseph go with their family up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Um, if you're not familiar with the Passover... It's a festival in the Jewish calendar that celebrates the event uh, historically when the people of Israel were set free from their slavery in Egypt in the time of Moses. And you can read about that in the book of Exodus uh, in the Old Testament. And so this is a very important festival for them, similar to what Easter is in the Christian calendar. Um, and like what happens at churches at Easter time, a lot of, pe a lot of people made, made special effort to come to church then. You know? So most Jews would make a special effort to come to the temple in Jerusalem at Passover uh, to worship God together. So and obviously they were a very religious family uh, and Mary and Joseph would have gone up to Jerusalem for the Passover every year, as it says in this text. But this year... Uh, in the midst of all their celebrations, they have to deal with what, perhaps on a current affair, they might call every parent's worst nightmare. There seems to be a lot of those. Um, after the festival, Jesus goes missing among the crowds. Um, now, we live, we live in an, a very, an age of very hands-on parenting. Um, we like to know where our kids are most of the time. Um, but obviously, Mary and Joseph had a bit more of a relaxed approach to childcare than we do. Um, they didn't even initially, initially realise that Jesus was missing. So they assumed he was travelling somewhere back with their family group. But after a day of travelling home from Jerusalem, they realised, oh, that Jesus isn't with them. And so they go back to Jerusalem to find him. Uh, and they do find him, of course, after a few days of searching. And you can imagine they would be pretty frantic by the end of that time, you know. We've lost God's son, you know. He might be a little mad, you know. 
He had one job. Um, and fortunately, of course, Jesus hasn't gotten himself into trouble here. Uh, instead, he spent the time in the temple talking with the religious teachers. And on the scale of scary things that teenagers can do, um, sitting around a church talking with wise old men about the Bible is fairly low. So, you know. um, and not only is Jesus safe, but he's impressing people with his ability to understand and discuss the Bible for such a young person. But Mary is still a bit exasperated, as you would be, and so she demands an explanation of why he did it. And this is where we hear Jesus speak for the very first time. And he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Um, and so in the rest of the ser- this sermon, I'm going to try to unpack what Jesus meant when he said this. Um, it's not immediately obvious, as we read, uh, Mary and Joseph didn't understand at the time what he was talking about. Um, and Mary took the whole incident home and she meditated on it for a very long time. So I think to help us to get into what was going on here and what it means for us, I'm going to repeat the principle um, that I tried to explain last week when I talked about the story of Jesus' childhood, um, that I think it's the case that Jesus' life in the Gospels is meant to act for us as a model for human spiritual growth. Jesus' life is meant to act as a model for human spiritual growth. And that's why these incidents are recorded in the Gospel, to make that connection for us. Because Jesus is the one we're to understand who lived as human beings should. So his whole life is significant. Um, For Christians, there can be a temptation to focus on just one incident or one angle on Jesus and what his life meant. For instance, uh, the way we think about the cross. So when we summarise who Jesus was, we might say, well, he was the Son of God, sent by God the Father to die for our sins and bring us back into a relationship with God. And that's certainly true. But if we just focus on that one incident, that's a day in the life of Jesus. And it can mean that we ignore the whole life of Jesus before he went to die on the cross, as though it's not really necessary or important. But the whole point for me of looking at these early years of Jesus is that it reminds us that the fact that Jesus was a human being who grew up was just as important for our salvation as the fact that he was divine and went to the cross. So when you read the Gospels, I just want you to remember that everything that Jesus did as a human being is significant for understanding your own relationship to God and how we should live. Um, And it's not just when Jesus is teaching, but when he's just living and moving through the journey of his life. So Jesus is the pattern for our lives as Christians and as human beings. Um, And what Jesus is saying to Mary when she finds him in the temple, I think, is that she should understand that it's natural for him as he grows up to seek out a deeper knowledge and closeness to God the Father. So he says, didn't you know? Didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. So this story isn't really about a lost child. It's about Jesus moving into the next stage of his life. Uh, It was natural for Jesus as he grew up and as he moved into adulthood to start to take seriously the need to understand the will of God and God's presence in his life. It says Jesus goes home with Mary and Joseph at the end of the story and he's obedient to them after that. But he doesn't apologise, does he, for leaving them for three days because that's what he had to do. Jesus is not really a child anymore at the end of this story and so he starts to move away from his earthly parents towards God's the Father. And we should hear for ourselves, I think, as we read this story that this is not just something that's true for Jesus here but it's also true and should be true for us as well. So... Basically, I think the point is that Jesus is showing us here what should be our natural progression and development as we grow up. We all have a natural process of growing physically, 
emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, and those should all be developing together. So that when we're at a new stage in our life, we're prepared to take on the challenges and to use them as a context to grow further in our knowledge of God. The problem that we often have, though, is that our spiritual development doesn't keep pace with the rest of our growth as we get older. Um, physical growth is automatic. It happens every day whether you try or not. Spiritual growth is not automatic because learning more about God and developing a personal knowledge and relationship with God the Father actually takes effort. It's an ongoing process like studying or training for a job or building our ability to have relationships with other people in healthy ways. So if we let it go and don't do anything with it, we end up getting stuck at a very early stage of our spiritual growth and knowledge. We remain spiritual babies or spiritual children. And it's possible, and it's actually very common, I find, that people remain at the stage of being a spiritual child, in one sense, for their entire lives. Um, and what does that look like? So, well, I think there are a couple of ways that we might be able to tell if that's happening to us or to people that we know. Um, because babies and small children have certain distinctive ways of behaving, and that carries over into the spiritual world. The most obvious thing is that they are very focused on the satisfaction of their immediate desires and what they want right now. And they don't deal with disappointment or delayed gratification very well. They're focused on themselves. Um, one of the difficult things that some people can have with being a parent at Christmas time um, is helping your children not just be focused on the gifts that they're going to get, how wonderful they are, but to understand the relationships that those gifts represent and the meaning of them. And it's not that it's bad for, them, for children to feel that way, it's natural for them, but it's not a stage of life that we should stay at forever in our appreciation of life. And so in the spiritual life then, spiritual infancy is the same. It tends, I think, to look like an over-preoccupation with the gifts that God has given us. So all the wonderful things in the world, like the possessions that we have, the experiences that we can have, our work, our relationships, art, entertainment, and things like that, and just focusing on them, and no further to the purpose behind them. Studies suggest, I think, that most people have a kind of natural inborn belief in God or a sense of God's presence, and most people, regardless of whether they go to church or have any specific religious belief, just have a general sense that there's someone or something out there, you know, something behind the beautiful things in the world, the meaning of love or the sense that someone's watching over them. There's a basic human experience um, and it's behind the impulse that most people have to search after God when they do. Um, for instance, when the Apostle Paul was on a missionary visit to Athens, he pointed out that in their religious searching they had created a statue to an unknown God. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17. He talks about that. And I think that the unknown God, in some sense, is God from the point of view of a baby or a small child. There is someone out there that I don't, need to, don't really know a lot about who gives me the things that I need or the things that I want. I don't need to know much about who that is and I don't think about it too much because I'm enjoying what I have and I've got my own things to worry about. And I think what Paul said to the Athenians in his sermon then and his to, to us is that there comes a time though when we need to learn about the unknown God to take the next step in knowledge. And that's what I think we see in Jesus as he came to the temple here. To move away from childhood towards a mature adult knowledge of God the Father. And that's a difficult step to take because like other parts of growing up, it takes initiative and it takes effort and it takes courage. And we're lucky if we have people around us who are going to be able and willing to help us along that path. And Jesus did. 
Um, he lived in a society where learning about God was considered a good thing to do. Um, and it was something that all young people were actually encouraged in. His parents and his family were devoted to God and there were lots of elders and teachers around to help him talk about the Bible. And Jewish culture as a whole was designed to put the worship of God at the centre of their community. And I must say, as a Christian minister in contemporary Australia, that seems to be an almost unimaginable level of luxury <laughs> to have those things. Um, think about how our culture does spiritual things and engages with them, like celebrating Christmas. Um, it seems to me that the fact of it is that modern Western culture in Australia as well is specifically and intentionally designed to keep people in a state of spiritual infancy. That is the desired state. And you've got to ask why that is. And I think the, quest, the real answer is because when people grow more spiritually mature, they tend to buy less things. I think it's that simple. <laughs> they don't care so much about consuming new items or products. They, don't, they care about the meaning of life and the way that God wants us to live. And if most of us did that, it would be pretty bad for our economy. It's true. So the result is that if you want to grow spiritually mature in our context, you have to specifically go against the flow that's been put towards you. And if we don't, and most people don't, to be honest, the result is that we remain a community of spiritual children. And that's a problem because it creates a tension in us that gets worse as we get older. Jesus grew out of his spiritual infancy when he became a teenager or maybe before. Now, we're not the son of God, so it might take us a bit longer to grow. But what if we never do? Then our whole lives we will be spiritual children in our knowledge of God. We will be spiritual children when we finish school and when we leave home and when we start voting. We'll be spiritual children when we enter the workforce and when we start having serious relationships. We'll be spiritual children when we buy a house and when we start a family and when we start to face midlife questions. We'll be spiritual children when our own children get to the stage of asking about God and the meaning of life. We'll be spiritual children when we become leaders in our industries, in our churches, in our government, when we retire and become grandparents, when we struggle with illness and weakness, and we will be spiritual children when we are preparing to die. To die. And this is not a hypothetical situation. Um, if you want to see what a world run by spiritual children looks like, I'd invite you to turn on the news today. Okay? Um, so we create a world of selfishness. It's not aimed towards meaningful things, towards God. Because growing spiritually means moving away from selfishness and self-centeredness into a giving time towards other people, towards God, and accepting suffering, for instance, for what is right and pursuing that. And we can see that for Jesus, his growing knowledge of his Father's will, in the end, yes, it led him to the cross to suffering and to death for what he needed to do. And suffering is also part of the natural journey of spiritual growth that awaits us if we follow Jesus too. And so we can see here in the early years of Jesus that even at age 12, he was setting himself on that path to save us and to help us really know God the Father. And I think the challenge that this story of Jesus today shows us then is that the way that God has made us and made you and me is for our whole life to be an unfolding, growing knowledge of him, personally, and that everything we do be brought into our knowledge of God in a relationship with him. Even the longest life that we have is only just long enough for the beginning of that process. And I think what we see in Jesus in this story is the way that it is supposed to be. 
As Jesus said to Mary, it was natural for him as he became an adult to come to the house of his father and to learn about him. So here, as elsewhere, Jesus shows us the right path for a human life. That's the point, that we seek to know God always and to understand his will for our lives and to live that out. That we grow up and leave behind the simple, natural understanding of God that a child has and know him. That we know God the Father personally and the kind of life that he's made us for and what he wants us to do. To follow Jesus is to break out then of the ease and the comfort of unconscious spirituality. To grow out of spiritual childhood and to take responsibility ourselves for a grown-up adult faith. No one can do that for you. You can only do it for yourself. So I think this story should be a challenge for us today to question where we're at with this. How well do we know God in a personal way or is he still unknown? Are we even looking for that kind of knowledge? So Jesus took that step at age 12. But that's, it's not about how old we are, it's about whether or not we're willing to take that step ourselves now. And Jesus is the one now who can show us how to get started because he's the one that is on the way and who comes to walk alongside us on that path. So it's important to follow him.